Hello, subversives. This is your host, Art. I am, in fact, alive and still doing the show. At least I'm, I'm planning on doing more and getting back into the swing of things, as I've mentioned numerous times in uh, the latest episodes. You all know that I became a father, and it has been quite a job juggling that as well as real life. And I'm sorry that I've been off the radar for so long, but I want to thank you all for sticking with me and coming back to check out new episodes as they come. And uh, if you're new, uh, please check out the back catalog. I, I'm glad you found the show. Why I wanted to to call out and make this particular bonus episode is not just to kind of get my ass back in the gear, but I also wanted to say thank you to a specific listener. I do not know this person, but I came across their review not long ago. I barely ever check and uh, online. And then I was startled to see this review from July 31st of 2023. And it really touched me. And I wanted to share that with you before we get into this episode. This is uh, from Doubting Tom Jr. I have no idea who this person is. And they said, so glad I found the show. After getting caught up in the discourse surrounding the movie The Sound of Freedom, I got in the mood for a deep dive into another flick that exploited the people it purported to elevate, Cannibal Holocaust. I listened to 25 different podcasts and found 20 repeated the same conversations largely reading aloud the entries on the movie from Wikipedia and IMDb. This podcast was one of the five that stood out enough for me to listen to more of their back catalog. At the end of the day... This is one of the four that I subscribe to. Finding that it has discourse and content that you won't find on a vast majority of other podcasts. I hope you enjoy it as well. Well, Doubting Tom Jr., thank you very much for your kind words. That that really means a lot to me. I'm just a regular dude who works a regular job and has a family. And I just love movies. And I love talking about them. And I'm glad that you found some value in this. And thank you. So without any further ado, please sit back, enjoy this bonus episode for season three of Subversive Cinema. Stay tuned for the rest of season three and then coming soon, season four. The following show will contain spoilers, but trust us, you'll want to hear about it anyway. Christ! We're not hunting him! He's hunting us! I have known you since you were a kid, ever since you were seven and eight years old. You've shown superhuman strength. Disrespectful conduct, flippant and tasteless verbal remarks. No, no, I'm afraid that they wouldn't approve of that at all. Greetings, one and all, and welcome back to the show. This is your host, Art, here with Subversive Cinema, the podcast about the weird, wacky, and downright downright wrong entries in cinema's history. And it has been a while. I will not belabor that point. I know I've mentioned it sporadically over the last year and a half of why I've been away, but I am crawling back to the surface. And this is, I would say, my olive branch of goodwill to hopefully invigorate everybody's excitement to come back and check out old episodes of the show if you're new and to continue listening if you are a returning listener and if you are i really appreciate your uh, patience as i've been uh, sorting out how to be a dad while also working 
a whole lot of hours. So that being said, this is a special bonus double episode. Not necessarily, we'll see how long it goes. We don't know, but we're going to cover two movies and we're going to be covering Cool World and Little Monsters. And to do that, I'm bringing back friend of the show and friend IRL, Ben. Ben, how are you? What's up, Art? What's up, <laughs> Subversives? Um, I just, I, I just, <laughs> I did my homework yesterday where I rewatched Little Monsters, and I just finished rewatching Cool World literally five minutes ago. So I'm juiced up and ready to talk about them both. Oh, perfect. And I never thought I'd hear those movies send the same sentence before, but this is just great. Oh yeah, you know, and honestly, they're. There are certain elements that there's a bit of an overlap, but we're not going to talk about them in tandem. We're not going to go back and forth. We're going to mm. we're going to cover one first, and we're going to cover the other, just for the sake of simplification. And then perhaps at the end, we we might cover some some similarities and dis differences and whatnot. But uh, everybody, bear with me as I'm knocking the rust off the wheels here. I probably should have went back and listened to some old episodes to know exactly how I start this thing. But uh, I I'm just going to try to go by memory and say, so cool world. Uh, it is, oh, you've got your notes. Perfect. <laughs> I got my notes. Look at that. Boom. Yes. Oh, and you have copious. Evaluate and rank me. Give me an A, please. <laughs> oh, I will give you an A++, sir. <laughs> All right. So, Cool World. Oh, man. That movie. It's a, uh, it's a story about doodles, noids, sex, and utter insanity. I had not seen this movie for a very long time since uh, not, I don't know if it was when it was came out, but it was probably within a couple of years of it coming out. So I was, I was younger. I was a uh, early teens. And um, I just remember it felt like I had seen something really naughty when I watched it at the time, watching it now as an adult, I realized that there's no way a, a, a youngster would have any idea what the fuck is happening in this movie. Because even as an adult, I'm not entirely sure what's happening in this movie. So, Ben, uh, you and I are of a similar mm -hmm. vintage. I'm assuming that you have seen this movie before. I saw this movie when I was 13, so which is exactly the perfect age to see it. Yeah, I, I, right. I just seen Roger Rabbit a couple years. Yeah, I'd seen Roger Rabbit a couple years ago, like most kids, and mm -hmm. we thought we were getting another version of Roger Rabbit. We yep. thought we were getting a cool mixture of cartoons and people. So my mom was kind enough to rent the movie for me on VHS tape, and I watched it by myself. And I was like, I don't know what I got myself into. I really don't. And <laughs> again, like as I was 13, but I was at the beginning of 13. So I hadn't hit prepubescence, or maybe it was in prepubescence, but not adolescence. And so I was just like, this movie is not really for kids. It just has cartoons. So I just don't even know what to make of it. Yeah. So yeah, it's it it was sort of uh, I don't remember exactly the marketing, but I I know that because you know Who Framed Roger Rabbit had come out not that much earlier, maybe two years earlier, three years earlier. Uh, it it just on on paper it seemed exactly that Roger Rabbit for adults, a harder edged thing, but. That you know, other than the fact it's live animate live action with animation mixed, that's pretty much where the similarities end. <laughs> cool world, pretty much, out. and sim yeah. similar archetypes. We'll give you that similar archetypes. Yeah, there's some archetypes now. You know, one could argue like yeah, the Brad Pitt character, um, uh, play his uh, Brad Pitt plays Frank Harris. 
He's a returning World War II vet. Uh, he becomes a police officer. It could be sort of the Eddie Valiant. But but the thing is that, you know, with, with Roger Rabbit, and we're not really here to talk about that movie, but we, it's hard to not reference it. There's so much character nuance in Roger Rabbit. And this was my biggest problem with Cool World is it was the movie. It, it could have been so much more. And that's the tragedy of it. It's, it could have been an amazing fucking movie. But this is a, a classic example of what happens when first you aren't given the money and the resources to do the vision justice. And two, you are getting, you know, completely manhandled by the studios and other powers that be who want to get in the way. You know, Ralph Bashke, uh Ralph, geez, let me get that guy's name right. Ralph Bakshi, who has a, an incredible history in cinema and pedigree. I mean, Fritz the Cat, you know, Lord of the Rings, the cartoon Wizards fired at ice. Mm. This guy like created a whole visual style, you know, coonskin. It's like this guy did so many movies and they have such a unique angle and style to them that it's like it, it was almost like how could this fail? But I think the problem is that he was known for mostly cartoons and not the live action and i get that he tried to do a lot of sophisticated things he wanted to create the 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 sets to have like um you know a two-dimensional feel like a breakdown of a painting that's why there's a lot of flats and stuff as you walk around a car different sides of the car suddenly two-dimensional so on and so forth but i don't think he had the the technical aptitude that bob zemeckis had when he was doing roger rabbit now of course roger rabbit had a 70 million dollar budget this had 30 million. That's a big problem. It's less than half. So this movie suffers from all sorts of things, script-wise, story-wise, because uh, allegedly Ralph Bakshi wanted to make this a hard R movie that was almost like a horror film where a guy creates this world while he's in prison as an artist, and then he has sex with Holly, and then their freak half-animation, half-human child comes to the real world to kill him. Crazy shit. But it ended up being turned back in, down, dialed into a PG-13 to really get more of the audience. And, and, and as such, I don't know where the rewrites start and end with who, but the movie feels very, very stilted. But all that to say, it's, it's not to say that there isn't good things about it. This movie is completely fucking nuts, and it's a lot of fun. So... It you know, really is, man. And, you know, again, I was watching it and like as an adult now I watch it too. And so I know what I'm getting into, but it was like, I, I'm not really sure where this movie is going to take me. And I'm going to give you an analogy. Imagine going to a nightclub and you got in with a fake ID and you don't see any of your friends. It's like, there's lots of people, but your friends aren't around. So you don't know who to trust. And <laughs> then 40 40 minutes into the time at the club, you see your friend Daffy Duck walk by. And you're like, Daffy, <laughs> Daffy, please come see me. But then he just keeps on walking and he's gone. And now you're alone again with these weirdos. That's how yep. I felt when Daffy Duck literally was on the screen for one second. My friend was there. My friend was gone. <laughs> Dude, there was... And it just got more and more weird from there. It 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 got really weird. I'm just, we're gonna have to figure out how to unpack this, uh, and we'll do it the very best we can. But we also have to remember we got a whole other feature to get to, so we'll try to be as as concise with this as we can, but also thorough. So, Cool World, yeah. as I said, directed by Ralph Bakshi, and written by Michael 
Reyes and Mark Victor. It, uh, it tells the story of this artist, Jack Deebs, who was uh, sent to prison for killing this guy who had slept with his wife. And he created Cool World, this cartoon. Uh, now, th this is where things get a little muddy. He, he can seemingly go in and out of this world. But at the same time, Cool World existed before he was there because we see it in 1945 when Brad Pitt gets sucked, in, sucked into there. So you, I should probably be more concise. Movie starts with Brad Pitt, returning war veteran. Terrible accident. His mother is killed in a car wreck and he is gravely injured. And in his grief, this portal is, is opened and this doctor in this two-dimensional world sees him and for reasons brings him in to this two-dimensional world. Well, and then for, for more reasons, the other guy goes. The doctor goes. He was trying... He was trying to go there and it backfired and took Brad Pitt to him. But he still went too. That's the thing. It's like, this is, that's why I will right, say, this. Totally say this a lot. I will say for reasons, because there are no fucking reasons. <laughs> Every time they try to explain something it doesn't make any sense. So you, this is really a movie where you just kind of got to go with it, you know? So Brad Pitt sucked into the two dimensional world. Boom. 47 years later, it's 1992. Jack Deebs, the animator is getting out of prison. He's famous on the outside because he created this comic called Cool World. And then apparently it's a real place. It's a parallel universe. We don't know. It's never really explained. And uh, he's traveling in and out of it. Holly wants, they, apparently everybody in Cool World knows you can go back and forth. So Holly wants to go. There's only one rule in Cool World. You don't boink a, a, a noid or a doodle. Like humanoid, humanoid. So you know, a humanoid doesn't boink a doodle and vice versa. Otherwise, all hell breaks loose, as we see when the movie progresses and Holly ends up fucking Jack Deebs. And uh, she becomes the stunning Kim Basinger. She's a, you know, I don't know if this would be the peak Kate, Kate oh my God. <laughs> Man, it's been a while. I don't know if this is peak Kim Basinger exactly, but she was on fire. Mm. She was perfect for this movie. I mean, I think she was like 39 at the time. And she had already done a litany of other movies, nine and a half weeks and other stuff like that before. But I think she was still riding kind of high on being, you know, one of the hot women uh, actors that was capable in Hollywood. And she plays Hollywood so fantastically. Everybody in this movie is great. Gabriel Byrne is wonderful as Jack Deebs. Brad Pitt turns out a solid performance. Uh, he's And he was like third or fourth build. So he was still on his way up, you know. But uh, yeah, it's the movie where people go and uh, in and out of Cool World willy-nilly. How they do it, I don't fucking know. It's not really explained. Then there's a spike that's at the top of the Plaza Hotel. And if you uncork that bottle, uh, all of the Cool cool World characters will come into the real world. It, it, look, if it doesn't make sense to you, it's because it doesn't make sense. So just go with it. But Ben, what were your, yeah. what were your reflections of this whole thing? I mean did maybe you picked up on things I didn't or what, but it just felt like a movie that, you know, if, if you were to ask the creators, well, why does this happen? They'd say, shut up, just watch the movie. <laughs> you know, they don't have an answer. Yeah. It's hard for me to not watch this movie with my nostalgic goggles. I watch <laughs> it with nostalgic goggles. So it means I, I really love this movie. Even yeah. if it takes me on a ride, I don't always know where it's going, but I really feel that if you root for Brad Pitt, you can't go wrong. If you True. root for Frank Harris, then you'll enjoy this ride because he really wants to do the right thing. And 
it was very alluring and very mystifying when when um, uh, Gabriel Byrne falls into the cool world and like you see Holly dancing and he's trying to wrap his head around this. It's like you're along for that ride. And um, it's really interesting that in the middle of the movie, you feel like you're watching a different movie because now it becomes similar to uh, uh, Mer uh, the Mer Splash, the movie Splash. Right. And the movie what's like 13 verse 30 or whatever it was, like a, a girl's spirit in an older woman's body. Yes. So yeah, she's right. just running, running amok, you know, yeah. kid in the candy store. But now <laughs> I feel like I'm watching a movie about a, a woman that doesn't really fit into the real world, but is also a real person. And um, I, I really loved the, the sequence at the end when they climbed up and got to the spike. And it's interesting because when Jack, um, no, when, you know, when Jack Dees raises his arms to get to the top of the building, you can raise the question, well, why did he raise his arms again to get to the spike? And my answer is he can't always control when he does or doesn't go doodle. <laughs> so that's my answer to that. So you can okay. not, don't poke holes in that part of it. Fair okay. enough. <laughs> yeah, that's valid. That's valid. That that makes sense. It's uh it's it's not a it's it's not a superpower that he necessarily has under wraps. You know, I, I we could we could honestly just dive in and and dissect the, the nuance or, or lack thereof of the 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 mythos of the world, but we would never get anywhere. All I know is Cool World was there in the 40s. Jack Deeb's wrote about it maybe this was stuff that was in another draft that maybe somehow jack had some sort of weird connection to cool world just psychically or whatever where like he would see visions of it and then that's what he drew so maybe he didn't create cool world but he thinks he did but in reality cool world created him almost you know what i mean but yeah it's like hypnotizing you to make you believe you were never hypnotized yeah exactly but yeah yeah well we'll we'll get into it so let's uh let's start breaking down uh oh yeah we should talk about the subversive sauce right that's um oh man <laughs> uh, that see again it's been so long so we here we're trying to figure out what makes these movies so succulent and and strange and what they are and i think that that comes from a couple ingredients we have the characters the uh the, the story and the what the fuck part you know the what the fuck factor. So let's let's look at the characters first. So what characters stood out to you, and why? As a man or as a boy, I related to both Jack and and uh, Frank. I related to them. So of course I got to stay in their corners. And when they actually were arguing with each other, I felt like it was a moment in the movie where it's like, okay, this is good. Two actors relating to each other, both both um, speaking to their truths. It's like, you're angry at me because I did what any man would want to do after being in prison for so long when I had the opportunity to do it. And then there's like, I'm angry at you because you're fucked up our world and the other world. Who do you think you are? Simple as that. So those two are definitely my boys. Um, right. And of course, good old Hollywood. Of course, I related to her because she was just hot. I mean, a toxic doodle, but a, a sexy one. <laughs> and yes. And last but not least, and last but not least, good old Nails. Nails the Beatle, uh, whatever he was. He was yeah. just good people's. Nails is solid. I, I love Nails, too. I can't go wrong with Nails. But uh, there is <laughs> there is one character, and I, I was trying so hard to listen for his name, and I kept missing it. It's the uh, one of the henchmen, I guess, or cronies that always fly around Holly. Holly has this group. It's like a... a a baby with razor fingers, razor nails. Then there's a giant gorilla 
there is a uh, a, <laughs> a uh, a chick who reminds me of um speaking of Roger Rabbit of Nina Hyena, you know. And then there's this Oh yeah, I forgot about her. Yeah. I totally forgot about her. Yeah. And then you have this guy who I can't remember his name, but he's the one who's just he is a masochist. This is like the sort of shit that oh, he yeah. loves to talk about. You're so real, so strong. You can help comb my hair, tickle my mind. <laughs> yes, I have failed. Thank you. I'm calm now. I mean, he is like a live wire of insanity. I mean, like when he was doing that, he was like ripping his brains open. And but, you know, even like he he sees um Speaking of Nails, who I absolutely adore. Uh, I love Nails because I feel like he is almost, to me, he's the heart, even more so than Brad Pitt. Um, but next to Nails is this masochistic guy, especially because Holly utilizes a pen at some point and does what they call a pen job, where because the doodles are conceivably ink, they can get sucked into a pen and you're basically trapped. And so pens are a dangerous weapon in Cool World. And well, that's exactly what she does to to needles. No, sorry, to nails. And when he gets sucked in, you know, the uh the freak out dude, he had the 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 guy who just loves pain, this is his reaction to it. It's like, what the fuck is going on with that guy? He stands out to me because it's like, I don't know what the hell's happening. I don't know what his deal is. So I don't know. You know me. I always like to pick up the characters uh. that, that are off on the fringes. And make no sense. Um, of course, you know, the bunny rabbit in the beginning who's just getting taken for a ride playing cards. That's pretty good. Oh, man. Yeah, it's there's there's lots of memorable little moments. And I think part of that could be chalked up to, um, the, you know, as with everything I say on the show, this is, you know, filmmaking lore. So, you know, take it with a grain of salt. But from what's been reported, um, the animation was done on the Paramount lot and the animators were never given the script. They were just told to draw what <laughs> draw what would be funny or crazy. So that's what all these little interludes that are happening in front, in the foreground and throughout that seemingly have no connection to the story or anything that's going on. They're just things oh. that were drawn because he said, "Hey, just do a scene, whatever you whatever you want to do." And that I think it's like just it weird. Just it's like just make something up that can last literally three seconds max with a punchline. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I think only the actual narrative-driven characters were given any, you know, guidance. And I think, you know, I'm now I don't know. I wish I could have looked this up, but out of all the animation, uh, Holly looks to be the only character that might have been rotoscoped, where they would actually have. Kim Basinger on set and then they would just draw over top of her um, mm. but because oh, all the other characters are so much more loosey goosey flimsy and bendy and and warped and, and you know that's the thing so uh, any other characters before I move on just because I want to talk about the world itself I don't think so I'll just say this I'm going to confess as a kid 
when the what was it snipes or the one with the the baby with the ra the razor fingers yeah the razor finger was yeah, standing yeah. right when he was on the cop car i honestly thought he had a little water gun he, he was shooting some yellow liquid oh, at the cops when he peed on the cops <laughs> yes yes, yes. I, oh. I didn't get that as a kid. I'm sorry, I didn't get it. Yeah, <laughs> well, again, I didn't remember that either until I'm watching it. I'm like, what? That's there's just <laughs> so many little naughty bits along this thing. It, this is a horny movie, man. Like all the horny people, as fuck. It is horny as hell, man. Like all people Ooh. talk about is doing it and making it and going to the real world to make it, and you know, and, and in the cartoon world, it's just. It, that's all they think about and that's funny because to me that's just like 100 100% ralph bakshi it's like his movies like fritz the cat and all that stuff they're always so fucking horny that's all it is you know but it, it wasn't what i expected <laughs> oh yeah oh yes that's a great moment right after they uh gabriel burn and and um and holly so after jack, after jack and holly have their uh their boning session and sh there's an explosion and she becomes a real girl well this is uh how her little cronies react as they're down on the street smoking cigarettes because even they <laughs> need to recover from this was it good for you it wasn't what i expected <laughs> exactly but i love that uh you know and that just reminds me of another this is we're all over the place but one of the finer points of uh of animation in this is right after the climax of explosion and everyone's falling through the air and then we are treated to a one-way trip through the gorilla's digestive system where we go into his mouth and then we see a uh very much geppetto and pinocchio looking set of people inside of his stomach mm -hmm. Uh, before we go all the way down and out through his butthole. So that's delightful. <laughs> all right, let's uh let's let's talk a little bit about story here. So story, what did it make sense? Did it work? Uh what, what were your takes on the story? I think you've already kind of ascertained some of mine. Okay. I mean, I'm not gonna I'm no longer gonna say how I felt back then versus now. I'll just say what I feel, period. Yeah. It does make sense, even if we're not given every single logical explanation. It makes sense that if this woman wants to become a real person, so she's going to go for it and do everything she can. And if you take that spike off of the Las Vegas hotel, you wreak havoc. That's pretty much it. So that's exactly what happened. And I will say at the end, you would probably call it a deus ex machia. <laughs> Where it's like, wait a minute! You tell me if a cartoon kills a noise, the noise becomes a cartoon. Yeah, so that was that was random. Yeah, they pulled that one out to make that a happy, a happy ending. ending. Oh yeah, 100%. I know, right? A happy ending <laughs> for the kids. <laughs> for the kids. Oh yeah, for the for the kids who've just made it through, you know, a hundred and fucking hundred minutes of horny <laughs> storytelling. I um, the story. How about you? The, sto the story makes some sense if you don't ask too many questions, but the problem is I ask questions. So again, the notion that Cool World, this parallel place, existed in 1945, which is clearly before Gabriel Burns' Jack Deebs was born, um, 
there's there that's a disconnect for me. So I all I can do is just try to rationalize as I did earlier, where perhaps he was influenced by visions and inspired to to do it. Uh there's there's, you know, again, you just gotta go with it. If you just go with it and you don't ask too many questions, then yeah, it's a serviceable thing. But it really is a hodgepodge of I feel that they, they took too much time in certain places to build characters or world, you know, that didn't pay off instead of focusing on the bits that could pay off. Um, honestly, the neighbors, for example, the the daughter and the mother, you know, where really she's only there to essentially drive him <laughs> to the strip at the end. That's it. Like, she really doesn't do very much more for the story. So it's sort of like, why is this character here? You know, um, why did he have to go to prison? Like, why is that a thing that didn't really do much for the story? As it stands now, it it doesn't serve anything. He went to prison because he killed his wife's lover. And you only get that from one random guy in a comic book store. That's pretty much where you're getting that other than seeing him walk out of prison. So, uh, you yeah. know, I, some people would say, oh, maybe it's like Hemingway's iceberg, you know, approach. Be like, no, that's assuming that there's enough information to give us the subtext. No, this is just there's a whole lot of story that just wasn't told. And we are just kind of given this. And I feel that we could have had a little bit more answers. Um, it's, you well, know, the whole right, notion I'm of going spike. to I'm go. Yes, go ahead. Uh, hang on, hold that thought, hold that thought. I'm going to give you an answer. The mm. reason that Jack Thieves went to jail is so he could spend time obsessing with Holly so he would be understandable in his craving for her. Okay. That he didn't care about the results. He just wanted her so bad that he did what he did. And then at the end, he redeemed himself. I'll buy that. Now, I mean, here's the funny thing, I guess, like the 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 funny thing about this movie, I'll, I'll, that's a great point, by the way, so kudos. Um, he did redeem himself in stopping her, but it's like, this is like the, the ending of the movie of the story is the most happy, but not happy ending where, you know, you're Brad Pitt's, you know, Frank Harris is great. He got killed by annoyed. I mean, by a doodle. So now he becomes a doodle. Hey, th thank God that that happens. Right. That was, uh, you know, some late third act information that was shared. Um, but that means that he can now live happily ever after with his dame in Cool World. And they can finally they can finally make it because that's all they've wanted to do is just do it. And you know the rule. You can't. But then on the other side, you have Jack, who has now become this, this cartoonish superhero character. And he is stuck in seemingly a comic book now. Not Cool World, but a comic book. With Holly. Now... She's miserable. He's vapid and, and deluded and thinks that they're going to have a great time. That part of it, I don't know what it is. It just doesn't sit with me. Like, it feels it feels like they're in purgatory. It just feels not right, you know? I get why it's there and what people should I, be like, oh, you know, oh gosh. But it just I, I doesn't, I, I don't know. It just, it just hurts a little bit. I, I agree with you. I agree with you wholeheartedly. And I felt that way when I watched it when I was young. I felt unsatisfied and I didn't really know how to feel. It's like you can't make them stay in the real world and you can't put them back in the cool world. So in a weird way, there are in some kind of a purgatory where Jack at least can be happy in the purgatory 
And Holly is miserable because her character was like an anti-hero at best. You know? She, she was, yeah, I mean, the, the problem with Holly is uh, there we, we could try to espouse her with more, I guess, uh, more complexity than I think really is there. I, I, you know, she was drawn as a two-dimensional gal, and I feel that she kind of was portrayed that way. You know, she's just a chick who wants to experience everything. And yeah, there's been sort of, you know, renaissance of that sort of thing lately, you know, with, um, as you were saying, the 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 girl, the young girl in a woman's body sort of thing, hungering to experience everything. You got like poor things, which is all about, you know, essentially um, an infantile mindset developing in the womanhood and finding sexuality. It's the same thing with Holly. And we see that in spades when she goes to the club and uh, she tries to pork uh, Frank Sinatra Jr. on the stage. So it's crazy. But yeah, it's just speaking I, of that scene. Or, uh, I just want to say one thing. Yeah. I like the part when the here's the thing. When I was watching it, I thought to myself, you bring a girl like that to a club like that. Yeah. They're probably going to take her away from you. And they throw yeah. him out. They and then he grabbed the bouncer by his head and threw him into the wall. I'm yeah. like, okay, Jack, you brought that prison rage with you. Okay. He I'm did, but he, he he also had a little bit of that like cartoon magic coming out, like the cool world magic, right? Didn't what they're like a little Correct. like uh uh you know a, a a ray that came out of his hand or something. Right. Like, so <laughs> but yeah, and then it's great because you know she's running around looking for uh I don't know, fucking what's his name? Frankie Vegas, Vincent Vegas. I don't know, whatever the guy's name, you know. The, Vegas the, Vinny. Vegas, Vegas Vinny, Vinny that's spike. it. Yeah. The little bald guy from the very beginning of the movie. And uh, I'm sorry, I've been in Vegas before and I've never seen anybody kick out someone who looks like Kim Basinger because she didn't have money. I'm so sorry. You know. They're, they're, <laughs> they probably that, thought she was an escort. <laughs> yeah, that just never happened. But, uh, you know, it's it's fine. Oh, man. Well, he, okay. he kicked her out with grace and, and sorrow, if that makes it any better. I mean, I guess, you know, we could... Uh... We could we could see for let's let's see let's let the audience judge on what the if they feel this man was correct. When you have some money to spend, we love to see you, honey. Until then, you have to keep out. All right, now he did put the hand up. He had a very apologetic look in his face. No, no, I'm sorry. Just come on, man. you know. Don't. But uh, but it, I mean, it's look, it's Hollywood. But you you're you still look. right. They still wouldn't have kicked her out. Yeah, you still yeah. wouldn't have kicked her out. Yeah. I mean, except for when she turns into the doodle, uh, then that that's not the same Holly Doodle. Like she's like some weird clown. Um, and then that's that sort of cuts the edge off a bit. I thought of a funny line that someone should have said when that happened and she left. Someone should have said, Wow, they got every act in Vegas. <laughs> but um bump. Hey, see, exactly. you could have been a writer on the show, but here we are. <laughs> I could have. Well, let's exactly. let's move into the meat and potatoes of this thing the what the fuck factor we've already touched on a number of them um here and there but really that's that's where this movie shines is there's so many what the fuck moments to me again it's the overall horniness it is the 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 backsheesh style of animation um what stood out to you now as an adult watching this film that kind of made you say, what, what the hell's happening here? When all the monsters came into the real world, because like they kept on upping the ante 
And I will admit, I loved the ending when they, when Holly was falling back into the spike uh, center. Like the music was just banging away and the drums and the yeah. beats. And it was a cool final, final uh, climax. So, but the, I mean, that was what the fuck, like these monsters are let loose and they're running amok in Las Vegas. And even Vegas can't handle that. That's it. <laughs> it it's, uh, it, you know, first I'll say narratively, I thought what was great before the deus ex machina was the, the idea of pushing Frank off the building and seeing him fall to his death and thinking, holy shit, they killed the guy, the good guy, <laughs> you know, and I thought that was such a brave, bold choice. And then that's where, you know, when, mm. um, when uh, nails is released from the pen and he, then he sees his friend. And then that's, that's like truly a, a, a moving scene is just, he's just distraught to see his buddy dead. And that was a really solid choice. Um, again, not, you know, I get that they did the happy ending thing with, you know, the last minute logic, but I guess in some ways that's also a bit of a, what the fuck, eh, fuck it, whatever, you know, you gotta have it. It's just, they just brush it off and then. Okay. Suddenly an attractive so the, what the fuck? So the, what the fuck moment for you was when he came back to life, but you felt it was a heartfelt moment when nails was crying over him. Yeah. I mean like the whole, the whole idea of killing them, that character was, was strong and, and bold. And of course, you know, playing it safe, which is not, I'm sure what, Bakshi would have done if he had his way you know that's that's not how it would have gone um and uh, you know other than that and the overall you know horniness of the whole movie the the style of cool world itself is a a big disturbing what the fuck for me there's something about that universe that is just really unsettling to me um it's you know look even toontown in Who Framed Roger Rabbit was disturbing to me. Like, I just, I don't know what it is about me personally, but I, I just, it puts me on edge. But Cool World, so much worse. It, it's like these tall, dark spirals. There's never fucking sun. It's always dark. It's always nighttime. And everything's so gothic and gnarled. And it looks like, you know, the, the, um, that artist uh, Geiger, I forget his name, who did all the alien, uh, you know, uh, the 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 artwork and the style pictures for the movie Alien, where it's just like this almost a seeming organic quality to the buildings, where it's all ropey and veiny and twisty and knotted, and it's just really, it feels like hell. That's what it feels like. Cool World feels like hell to me. <laughs> So cool world itself is a, is a big creepy. What the fuck? It's like, I just can't get my head around it. What, what like, what about you? Well, you know, I'm not trying to make a pun for once. Uh -oh. I say what I'm going to say. Toontown was day. Cool world was night. Okay. Day and night now, difference, man. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's valid. That's valid. You're so, right. Cause it was always sunny and shiny for the most part. For the most part, in Toontown, but this. So I, yeah. it, it was it was creepy, man. And if Jack Dees wasn't always obsessing over Hollywood, he would have been creeped out too. But he was always fixated on Holly, so he never really had to really experience Cool World without being laser focused on someone. It, it's uh, it's a hell of a world, man. 
a hell of a world. <laughs> and, you know, yeah, just... <laughs> Yeah. Oh, oh, all right, all right. I laughed out loud when I was younger, and I laughed out loud just now, uh, an hour ago, when Frank and Deves were talking, and Brad, uh, I, I mix up the names, and Frank said, you know that you didn't draw me, right? And Deves said, yeah, you're not pretty enough. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah, like when they're in, when he, when he meets them in Cool World. That's right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, okay, that's funny. That's oh, funny. Man. Thank you for making lightening the load a little bit. Thank you. Like, thank you, movie, for making me feel a little bit reassured. Thank you. Oh, of course. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. This this movie was it's fucking nuts. It's um you the bit you know the so the other what the fuck I will put on it is more of um a lamenting what the fuck. It goes back to what I said in the very beginning, where this movie really could have been so much more. And the problem was they were handcuffed not just narratively and script wise, but because of the budget limitations, you know, where, where Roger Rabbit, they did incredible technical things to really immerse the cartoons in the world. So they would have elevated sets where there would be puppeteers underneath moving thin pipes and rigs to interact with items in the real world that would interact with the actual live actors and they would paint over that with the cartoons. That's why, you know, when the weasels go in to see Eddie Valiant, they're holding a gun. That's a real gun in a cartoon hand. They're reaching into the water. They're splashing the water. They're touching his tie. And you could see the contact of the cartoon in the real world. And that's what makes it feel so tangible with this. They did nothing like that. This was 100% just drawn on top of live action. And that to me is a huge and lamentable. What the fuck, man? I wish they would have done so much more because, you know, very rarely in this film do the animated characters actually cast shadow on live action things. It happens once or twice, particularly near the end, I think with, uh, with nails on the sidewalk, but really for most part, for the most part, there's no, there's not even shadows being cast. And like, you could tell when Brad Pitt puts his arm around a character that he's just holding his arm in midair and they're just drawing someone in. So it just feels so disconnected. And that is the, uh, that's a shame because if they would have really been a part of the world, then I think that's what made Roger Ebbett work is that they're cartoons, but they felt like they were in that world and they were real here. They just feel like they're cartoons drawn over top of a film. And that's why it's hard for, me, this particular viewer, to really get invested because they're just clearly not real. So that's my thought on that. I'm with you. And so just to, to give my two cents, the movie, like the, the cartoon was a pivotal part of the movie. So if that can't be top notch, maybe you should just make a movie about an, of a woman who's out of place and out of, out of time if you're going to not be able to really captivate the part with the cartoons, then I feel like you're missing the boat on a good opportunity. You really are. Yep. And yep, you know, it's still something special. Maybe, though. maybe, maybe I'm kind of leaning into Brad Pitt's performance because I want to feel more connected. So I'm paying extra close attention to how he delivers everything. Cause I'm just like clutching to his acting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
No, it makes sense. Makes sense. It was it was so close, man. This movie was so close, but it's still a whole hell of a lot of fun. So let's get down to it. So it how is. subversive do you think this movie was? I'm gonna go ahead and give it good old lucky seven. A seven. Luck, a lucky seven? All right. We can mm -hmm. go with that. I'd say, you know what? The intentions were there. I would agree with you that the intention was fully there. And this could have been a subversive as hell movie. But they just, you know, they didn't have, the, I guess, the full faith of the studio. And as such, they didn't get full use of all the technical tools and and wonderful things that could have really put it put it over the edge. So there we go. Every now, every now and then you'll find a theater that does like a midnight showing of it in different places. Well, that's always a fun. Uh, that's something I would be say. I would say check it out on a big screen. I'd be curious to see if that changes anything at all. Um, than just watching it on a, on a small screen, but definitely watching it with a group of friends or whether you know them or not could be a lot of fun. So, <laughs> so there you Absolutely. have it. We're going to give this one a seven cool world. You can uh, find it on Amazon. You can buy or rent it there. You can also just find a DVD somewhere too. So it's around, but now let's move on to our next picture of this special comeback episode bonus series uh little monsters from 1989 and this movie was directed by richard greenberg and that's all he pretty much directed <laughs> he did an episode oh, of tales wow from the he did a small documentary and an episode of tales from the crypt and that's pretty much it um he really did a lot of other work um as, as like a title designer for a lot of stuff he produced some things but he really was a title designer for most of his job he only directed those so um for better or for worse that's that's where that is but we'll, we'll get into all that so uh man little monsters this was uh Ooh. this is something else <laughs> I, I i haven't I, watched it in its entirety in about 10 years i'd only heard of years. this movie i'd never seen it until today today <laughs> so you know let's see well um you know i'd say little monsters is a is a story about a boy his monster friend his unhappy parents and all sorts of crazy engineering shit that this kid can do you know and i guess a whole bunch of little monsters uh and also again talking about another movie where there is very little given to you about the mythos of this world that exists it's little monsters so uh what it's about you got Fre uh, fred savage that uh you know that that darling boy from a darling television gem from the 80s and 90s he plays a boy who discovers mm -hmm. an incredible and gruesome world of monsters just under his bed and uh in fact he befriends one of them and that monster is maurice Played by Howie fucking Mandel. I'm still trying to figure out how I feel about Howie Mandel. That that's a problem. Uh, but he has a his dad is played by Daniel Stern, who is fantastic as always. Daniel Stern is I just love him no matter what he does. Uh, and his little brother is played by his real little brother Ben Savage, which is super cute. And uh, yeah, so here we go. You got this kid who's uh, just moved to a new town. His parents or uh, their marriage seems to be on the rocks a little bit. And the only solace he finds is in creating these weird engineering contraptions and, you know, hanging out with his brother 
and then befriends this weird fucking troll like blue guy played by Howie Mandel. And uh, things go crazy from there. So, Ben, this movie was brought yeah. to me by you. So, <laughs> um, what, is your history, what is your history with this movie? <laughs> you, you, you started this. So what was your history with it? <laughs> well, all right, real talk, man. I knew it was perfect for this podcast. So there's no question about that one. <laughs> so my, my, my history is this. I loved The Wonder Years as a kid. I watched it every Tuesday night at 8 o'clock. I loved that show. And um, I knew that it, well, uh, Fred Savage is in the movie. I got to go see it. Now, I didn't get to see it in theaters because it wasn't in theaters long enough for me to get there. <laughs> so, again, my mom rented it from, I think, a place called Video Files. It was a small mom and pop shop that sold uh, movies. Uh, you could rent movies. Uh, she rented it from me. I watched it, and I never rented it again. It was just... I, I liked the movie, but it just got a little too unpleasant. Some of the moments <laughs> were just kind of unpleasant. And I, little Benny I, was just like, this is too much. Huh? So did you, did you were you unable to finish? Oh no, I saw the whole movie. Okay. But I never I didn't I didn't rent it again. Um gotcha. I, I never paid for it again in any way because it was streaming free. <laughs> but um it, it, it's interesting because you don't know what, let's say you never saw the trailer. Let's just say, uh, it's Which a I never did. Kid who finds monsters. Right. He finds monsters under his bed and you never even saw the box cover. You just saw the movie from the beginning. Mm -hmm. You'd watch it. And then when the monsters are introduced, you think it might be a cute and cuddly monster. And it's like, no, it's a full grown man as a monster. Yeah. So it's like, oh, we're getting Beetlejuice, uh, drop dead Fred, wacky yeah. old dude, older guy talking to rational kid. And that's what we're in store for for the next hour plus. You you hit it dead on the head. That That is exactly what I thought of. Now, the only thing is I could say is that I feel like undoubtedly Beetlejuice inspired Howie Mandel's performance in this. Mm. Like he does this sort of hyperactive shit where it's like it's honestly to me Beetlejuice on on cocaine. <laughs> scream, scream! Good idea. You know what? You scream, your dad's gonna come in here with a twelve gauge shotgun. Oh, blow your head off! Actually, I'll scream. <laughs> Great. Actually, your dad's gonna come in here and find Dorito puke all over the floor. What's he gonna say, huh? Wow! Baseball cards. I love baseball cards. Got them, got them, need them, got them, got them, got them, need them, got them, need them, need them, got them, got them, got them, got them, need them. It's a lot. So yeah, he's and a lot. See, when you don't you don't see it coming, so it must have really hit you. I didn't see. I had no idea what the fuck was going to happen in this movie. And when when he came out with that, I'm like, oh my! <laughs> it took a minute. And then you check your watch. <laughs> you check your watch. <laughs> I was willing to give it the benefit of the doubt, but you know, Drop Dead Fred, I think for sure borrowed from this. Um, I feel like Problem Child even stole some of the gimmicks in this, too. Like, at least the peeing in a bottle, because Problem Child came out later. The idea of peeing right. instead of I'll apple juice. That, I mean, that was I the second one, but yes, you're right, you're right. Even the first one came out after it, but still, yeah, it's just like this hijinks thing. But the problem with it, well, nope, we're not going to get into that. We're not going to get into that just yet. We're going to we're gonna go it's by okay. the rules according to this, which is we okay. talk about the characters, the story, and the what the fuck factor. And... So we have this movie where, you know, 
it's about this kid discovers monsters under his bed and uh eventually his little brother gets kidnapped for reasons and they have to go find him and save him and uh then everything's fine uh, but all I could say is it became a very fucking different movie by uh hour, an hour and 10 minutes in. It was suddenly a very different movie. Um, so anyway, let's let's talk about characters first, then we'll get into this. Who okay. what characters stood out to you and why? All right, my friend, let's see. Um, Fred Savage is my man, so I, of course he stood out to me. He did a great acting job, and I felt like he really he it's like sort of Kevin Arnold in an alternate universe, but the same pretty much kid with, it's interesting. He was really good at contraptions and like doing Kevin McAllister like things. He really, and at the very beginning of the movie, they made it clear he is that kid because he had some gidgets and gizmos attached to his alarm clock. Yeah. He made so his own alarm clock somebody... that was lights, not sound. Right. It was right. like a quiet See, alarm I, I, I clock. Yeah. That. Yeah. 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 So it was obvious somebody cared enough to f make sure certain plot details are not overlooked. Um, and also, I do want to speak to, uh, I think his name was Ronnie Coleman, the, the bully character. Oh, he yeah, Ronnie, because... who, Ronnie, who was played by uh, Devin Rattray, who everybody may remember as Buzz from Home Alone. <laughs> so you see, Artie, that's not the first time he worked with Daniel Stern. Ooh. That's right, yeah. <laughs> mm. dun, dun. Even if in Home Alone they didn't have a scene together, they still were in the same movie. But I think, but, didn't um, they have a scene together in Home Alone 2? I thought that they did, maybe. No, uh, Marvin Harry didn't see the family. Didn't happen. Mm. Mm -mm. Ah. But, well, I'm um, just making shit he up. Stood, <laughs> he stood out because he comes in later, and I'll, I'll talk about this later. He does come in later in the movie. So it's important to establish him. So seeing him fight with Fred Savage a couple times was kind of funny. And oh. um, other than those, and of course, of course, Howie Mandel. And, and the, some of the other uh, monsters in the in the universe, the two antagonists stood out to me, and we'll get to them too. So I'll just say those characters for now. Well, I I also have to go along with um, with, with Ronnie. Uh, he's also to me. <laughs> you want to talk about a bully who was not? They paint him to be this bully, <laughs> and yet he huh? is unable to bully the shit out of anybody. I mean, look, when, when they're on the school bus, Brian, who is the main the main boy played by Fred Savage and his little brother, Eric. So Brian gets into it a little bit with Eric and takes Eric's fucking lunch and throws it out the window because that's what big brothers do. They're apparently a bag of baby dicks. And well, lo and behold, when the bus stops at the next stop, on comes Ronnie and he, he's got an ax to grind. This back? He's holding up some baloney. Why don't you pick on someone your own size? Like Bigfoot. Maybe I will. <laughs> and the bus driver slams on the brakes. He goes flying and gets the baloney with mustard on his shirt. And he's all like, what the fuck, man? Uh, by the way, on that rewatch, I just noticed for the first time that when he comes on, he says, who's Eric? The fucking kid behind Eric 
points at him just in the background. <laughs> yep. He gives him up. He give, he sang like a canary within seconds. What a fucking sellout, man. So you have that. <laughs> it was like a, 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 you know, a false start bullying. And then when they're in the, the hallways of school, he comes up and he tries to start some shit with Brian. And you know what? For being a bigger kid than Brian, Brian handles him pretty well. Like he essentially, they start getting into a tussle, but he doesn't hit him. He, he you know, he basically starts getting his ass handed back to him, this Ronnie kid, before the principal comes and then causes shit. Yeah. So he's the bully yeah. who never was. That's really what's kind of funny about this to me in this guy. <laughs> Agreed. I mean, Savage like throws him into the, into the trophy case. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's just okay, but you know, so who I really liked in this was uh, what is his name, Snick, the mm. the big hunchback monster who really doesn't come onto the scene until geez, like well past half the movie is when he's suddenly introduced and he is the very first sign of true monstrosity to me. Um, I mean, yes, they did. Pun intended. Yes. It's like they do some monstrous sort of things where, you know, you see during the, you know, for there, there's a term uh, in, in film in film uh, screenplays uh, called fun and games, which is a section a section of a story where it's usually in the beginning, it's around act two and fun and games is usually like maybe a quarter of the movie, if even where you sort of get to do a little reprieve from the main story where you're just seeing them live in this, this, the, the, the craziness of the scenario. Right. And that's what we see here. Well, you know, Brian is going along with Maurice on all these scarings and all this other shit. And he's seeing this whole underground network of, of stairways to go to beds. Now, the thing with this movie is the fun and games is like an hour long. <laughs> they just That becomes its own movie for a while. And, you know, and it isn't until well after that, that we finally get to see Snick. And Snick is this big honking monstrous motherfucker who's ugly as sin, smoking cigarettes. And I mean, look, this is uh, this is him going to go give Maurice some of the business. We almost had him. He was becoming one of us. He knows our secrets, Maurice. I'll tell you. You know what? Leave him alone. We'll just leave him alone and and you just don't get it, Maurice. Sometimes boy gets a little lonely. He wanted to play with him. Why doesn't he just play with himself? Why doesn't boy play with himself? No, don't get me upset, Snake. You know what happens when I get upset. You know what happens when I get upset. That's it. I'm upset. What the hell is that? <laughs> okay. I don't know. That, that moment, that by the way, that moment was that's probably one of the best moments of levity and tension in this whole movie. It's like he's I laugh out loud. This, yeah, he's generally this big scary dude, and then all of a sudden he goes full Beetlejuice, and some shit pops out of his head, and then it's like, what was that? It's like uh, I I don't know. It's just what happens when I get upset. It's just, you know, but you know, <laughs> Snick pre- prevent. You know, he. This is also the very first time that we hear the the phrase "boy." So this is going to, I guess, be my segue into the story aspect of this. And this is where I feel that they really should have had somebody edit this script and essentially 
flip the ratio. The movie that happens after this moment, this, this whole scene comes at about an hour and eight, nine minutes into the film, out of an hour and 41 minute runtime. That hour, I wanted the movie that the remaining half hour was. The movie where Boy was you know mentioned and then finally introduced because he was genuinely fucking creepy like you see him he's this this kid who is in you know a uh, private school attire but there's something weird about his face and it isn't until the camera pans around behind that you see oh he's wearing skin as a mask and it's drawn tight with string it's just fucking creepy and it now this is that's where the movie suddenly is like no longer a kid movie, but you know this is this is it's the eighties. Kids movies were like this. Um, the, the whole idea that there's he boy was the one who runs this world. He's in charge. Snick is his his uh, henchman goon. We really don't get into any more information than that. I want to know more about that. Like to me, that dynamic is what really could have been the story of this movie, not. You know, hey, this monster is befriending this this loner kid and taking him on a tour of the country <laughs> through these underground tunnels, you know, to beds and scaring the shit out of kids. I uh, I don't know. I just feel like that's where the real the real narrative was. And I wish we would have seen more of that because otherwise it's just, you know, this this fun and games. Question. Do you remember when um, Brian saw like the statue of the fallen angel? And went up the stairs, mm -hmm. and then Snick grabbed and, and threatened them, and threatened Maurice. Right. You see the doors open to reveal Boy from from a far distance. If you blink, you'll miss it. The doors open. And you see him looking, and then when they go back down the steps, the doors close. Ah, uh, I don't know if I remember. Did uh, you catch I, that? I don't think I did. I mean, I remember seeing Snick come down the steps uh, where he was at least walking around when he ripped the one monster's head off <laughs> and threw it into a basket. I, <laughs> I didn't, I, I didn't get the exact time, but I'm just saying yeah. right when uh, Brian goes up those steps and Snick comes and holds him over the doors open and you see boy shadow just looking. It's creepy, man, but it's, it's a good creepy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's like there was a lot of interesting stuff that really could have happened in this movie, and to some extent it did. But I guess if I, you know, if I really start drilling into what this is, I mean, it feels like this movie is like the whole underworld is like that 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 island in Pinocchio, where kids can just go and be batshit, but then they turn into donkeys. Essentially, what happens down here if you stay down there too long, you become a monster, and then you're relegated to stay there in the shadows but when you're down there you can nobody tells you what to do what the how to behave you can eat cheeseburgers and pizza all day long have an entire cake all that's now where they get that food i don't know <laughs> you know how does that work i don't know but it's there i think that boy and snick had the same friendship that maurice and brian have ah, i really okay. do yeah i could buy that i could buy that so it's like the question that I have is like, you know, who is Boy? Where did that come from? Where did he come from? Why is, you know, why is Snick so much more powerful than everybody else? It's, uh, there's a lot of questions well, that just are never going to be answered. Again, I'm going to try my best, Art, and I'm, I'm just going to try my best here. Yes. It was obvious that Boy had real weapons that could, in fact, kill the monsters. He had his finger on the nukes. That's he why did. he ran yeah. it. And, okay. and Snick, Snick was his crony. 
All right. Yeah, that's right. Somehow he, he got those. All these, yeah, he had toys that fired actual bullets. He had tanks that, like, toy tanks that fired actual munitions, planes that funny as hell because they would just come down on strings but they would have like the, uh, the you know the engine noise so this is pretty silly remember when remember when brian kicked the little bear that was drilling into his shoe oh yeah <laughs> yes it was that was random as hell just oh i'm just gonna start drilling in your tennis shoe and then just kick a kick a bear you know why not so it was uh yeah so story-wise what well, what sort of things bumped you or didn't bump you in this story well i i understood what was happening even if some of it was unpleasant. And no matter what, Savage delivered. He delivered from beginning to end. Um, you know, as a kid, I was actually disturbed when they were scaring the little baby. Like, that was a little too much for, for younger me. Because so, yeah. it got really scary for a moment. Like, no, this is too much. Don't do that. that. I'll agree. And that's also an interesting turning point for the character, Brian, because he even says, what, what do you stop? It's just a baby, you know? And so that was that, that was one of the beautiful moments of this movie for me in, in the sense that this is something straight out of the 80s. That's so fucking classic 80s, you know, that they pushed harder to really unedge and like unnerve you as a kid for these movies. This movie's PG. It was made it for made for kids, which I mean PG 13 already existed, but they decided this didn't need it. Um but it's just like, yeah, there was like a harder edge and it's just an interesting story of just about, I guess, like, you know, maybe the isolation of of children. Or maybe this is, you know, maybe that's like the point of view that they're taking is that, you know, maybe it's a time. A lot of stories in the 80s, I felt like had this, you know, Home Alone was obviously a very literal interpretation of it. But the isolation that a right. child has in the world you know, that they feel that they aren't understood, they aren't being seen, and that they're almost these sort of pariahs and burdens. And that's how it feels when all you hear is the parents, most of their dialogue is just arguments through the door. And you have him and his brother who are just there dealing with this shit under the bed. And, you know, and all the monsters underneath are clearly children who have been stuck. That's where they've come from, these populations of monsters are other kids who made their way down and just never came back up. And it's like, so are, are, is the underworld with the monsters an allegory for, you know, youth and, you know, just feeling neglected or feeling, feeling cast aside in that particular time and age. I don't know, but yeah, it just, it's, it has all the hallmarks of what eighties films and eighties horror did and uh yeah it pushed the right buttons at the right time i think but it also chose not to push buttons when it really could have and to piggyback um i think that maurice really was an example of a kid like he didn't know how to lean into any emotions like he tried to be a a, a safe haven for brian when they talked about the divorce but it's like he couldn't really feel what he was feeling it was sort of like getting close to it but not really he was fidgety. He couldn't really just console him. He did the best yep. he could. And at the ending too, which we'll talk about, he he didn't really he didn't want to feel the sadness of losing his friend. So it's like he's going to go back to the monster world because he can't he can't leave the monster world. That's where he that's where he lives. That's where he all he knows. Yeah. So it's like teaching kids like, look, whatever's going on in your life, divorce or whatever, it can be dealt with. You don't have to indulge yourself in addictive behaviors. Like, yeah. you know, overeating and, and numbing out. 
Mm-hmm. I want to just share another little moment with Snick. Just uh, again, it's uh, I love this is the sort of shit that they put in a uh, a, a kids movie. This this level of, <laughs> this level of threatening. Oh, your knees hurt. That's not all that's going to hurt, Arnold. You know why? Because I'm going to take my big thumb and I'm jamming in your eye. Now I'm going to take my finger and put it in the corner of your mouth and I'm going to rip the corner of your mouth out. <laughs> that's good for a laugh, isn't it? Huh? You're scared of me, aren't you, Arnold? Oh, I like that. Oh, I love that. <laughs> And then he rips the kid's head off. So uh, that's always fun times. Okay. So <laughs> I guess that's also a good segue into what the fuck. I mean, this movie had lots of little wow. scaring the baby. What the, ac- <laughs> what what the, the actual, actual fuck? fuck? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. This, this movie. Just. Yep. Uh... I mean. Fred uh, Savage, if it wasn't for you, I would not have watched this movie, period. like the uh the whole pranks the whole prank montage not cool not cool at all man you know pissing in the apple juice cat food instead of tuna plastic wrap on the toilet seat yeah that's harsh man it's like dude that's such a dick move terrible so but you know what's interesting is that here we have them doing all this this shenaniganry inside people's houses but in the beginning where it's, we're led you know where it's made to uh, understand that that they cause havoc outside the house you know his bike was under you know in the way of the dad's car and shit like that and you know while everything else is always indoors so it's just a little uneven i just want to know like and also why i mean yeah if you're a monster to scare people what are you are you supposed to scare people or are you just getting kids into trouble like what is exactly why <laughs> you know i mean i get the notion like his when his eyes pop out of his head and he's like being creepy and and you know beetle juicy scary but to be these little mischief elves that run around and and pull pranks on people it's uh it's uh it's like it's, it's like why i guess why like brian was being led astray by a bad influence and he has a nightmare about what happens to the children the next day in school so at least his conscience came back to bite him True. You know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And of course, uh, another glorious what the fuck is um, I, I love the scene where they finally go down to hunt and find where Eric has been taken. And boy, has Eric. Ooh. And then we get into some sort of shit straight out of a Rob Zombie movie where he's tied to a giant dartboard and he starts throwing darts at him. And none of them mm. hit. But it's just so menacing that I was half expecting them to go that way and actually hurt the brother. Um, you know, <laughs> and of course, then there's boy. But Art, if they if if they hurt the brother, we wouldn't have Boy Meets World. <laughs> ah, but um, bum. But man, I uh, I enjoyed seeing um Boy's real face under uh under that <laughs> under that skin mask those bulging eyes and that sharp set of teeth. It's just, it's just so weird. And the fucking, <laughs> the fucking booby traps galore. You got saw blades that come out of the floor and, you know, and like Brian's, point... Brian, it, he's jumping in, he's jumping behind the shelves. Like it's a war movie. Take cover. 
Well, I mean, yeah, well, dude, I mean, look, they're like sitting there firing bazookas and shit. I mean, all hell breaks loose. And of course, in our final confrontation, then you have, uh, I don't know where the fuck Maurice ended up with a flamethrower, but he, he comes tooling along with a, fl oh. a fucking flamethrower. So <laughs> I don't know. I don't know either, but I have, a, I have an explanation for you, okay? Sure. So at the beginning of the movie, it's uh, you, uh, Brian's mom's talking to him, and she says that Ronnie Coleman's, uh, you know, the, the son of the real estate agent, why don't you become his friend? And Brian's like, no, I don't like him. So let's assume that Ronnie Coleman's family is rich, right? Okay. So when Maurice went to Ronnie Coleman's house and said, yo, Coleman, I'm a monster. I need your help. Your boy Brian and Eric are in trouble, and you've got to be you to come save the day. So why don't you just do me a favor and come with you? You don't have a choice. Yeah. So they let's say Ronnie's mom, dad, and older brother or sister all had cars. They popped open the hoods of those cars and took those car batteries with them down into the monster area. That's how they had the juice and the jumper cables to light up all those lanterns. Ah, okay. All right. I'll buy that. I'll buy that. I still don't know where you got a fucking flamethrower, though, but, you know. <laughs> I, I got nothing on that one. I don't know. Maybe but they took I, it from the school. I don't know. May, you know, maybe Maurice is just really, really adept at doing some MacGyver shit. Who knows? Maybe he knows where it is. He just never had a reason to have it because he didn't want to bring it into the little monster world. Could be. Could be. There is a there's 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 a lot of, of silliness in this, but there's also things that I have to I have to give it some credit for. You know, the a lot of the effects are pretty pretty nifty. I really liked the uh, you know the different contraptions he made, and I loved the the effect of going through the floor. Uh, the monsters, I like that too. The monsters are all over the place. Some of them are cheaper than others, and some are more impressive than others. And here here's another crazy thing, right? This movie. Only a couple of years before uh, Cool World, and it had a fraction of the budget. Four and a half <laughs> oh, million wow. dollars. Four and a half million dollars. And yet this film feels like it just looks more advanced. So it's just interesting to see what happens. And uh, But it's also astounding because it's a one-time, for all intents and purposes, a one-time director who made this film. So... I don't know. It just goes to show you, man. You ne never, never trust dollar signs. It's all about who's, who's behind those checks, not just and what they're doing with that money, not just with the the numbers there. But this is this feeling was a you like the part. You like the part when Boyd and uh, Snick came over and stood side by side when the kids came back, and then they just lit them up with those lights. Like that was a cool showdown. Oh yeah, no, it was great. I love the showdown. I love that Snick gets blown into pieces. Uh, it just goes to show that uh, you twice, know, yeah, <laughs> that you know he can crawl back into pieces. <laughs> and uh, but yeah, it's it's uh, man, and the whole idea. Of the, I thought it was really it was a fun idea about how they couldn't get home because the sun had already risen. But if you run west then you could beat the sunrise. Now, of course, who knows how distance and time works in this subterranean world. Obviously, I guess time is is still, you know, linear because he could check his watch and see how much time he has. But I guess the distance to get to L.A. is, uh, I don't know, maybe it's a few city blocks underground. I have no idea. Um, well, let's go ahead. 
it seems to me like, it took them the distance to get to LA because the sun had just set on the East Coast. And when they got to LA, it was setting on the West Coast. Well, so maybe three hours. Yeah, right. Rising, rising, rising. Yeah. So it's, you know, I don't know. One thing I that this movie, I don't, I don't want to say it reminded me of, but I felt echoes of a bit was uh, visually uh, in, in the effects, a little bit like Garbage Pail Kids. Now, obviously this was, Oh, done. absolutely. This absolutely. is done better than Garbage Pail Kids, but the idea that this underworld is built entirely out, out of pallets and salvage wood and tires and random junk, it's, um, if ever there was a place where you could really do an oh, an animated or a super trippy thing, this place, because it's so surreal, you know? But it's always funny to me when they try to to use practical effects and practical items to create an ethereal place that should, by all standards, not really exist. I don't know. It's it's a it always just feels a little little cheaper to me. But then again, this is a movie that again it's made for kids. I'm I'm obviously not a kid. I'm not seeing it through those eyes. But I, I can't help but to look at that sort Arch, of shit. Did, did you catch that? Whenever the monsters or the humans go through the floors under the beds, the first times they fall and hurt themselves. And after a couple of times, they slowly glide and lay on their yeah. feet. Yeah, that's how you could see that Brian had started to become transitioning because he'd spent so much time down there that he would float down, just like when the flashlight hit the middle of his arm and then that part of the clothing just collapsed, which was a really cool effect. Mm -hmm. They had some cool effects, you know, when the clothing was animated or you know, just kind of bouncing around without any real corporeal state in there, or when uh, Maurice slowly melted into the floor, that was some cool shit, you know, they did some cool things. So this is a, this is a fun movie. It's, I'm totally off my radar and I'm glad you brought it to me. <laughs> so I want to talk to you about the ending. Okay? Yeah. Let's talk about the ending. So, so the ending, spoiler alert, <laughs> Um, yeah. When they go through that little CGI background of the, the, the little raindrops or whatever, and it's real, these five children are in Malibu without an adult talking a long distance to their parents. How do you suspect they got back home without going to the police or going back underground to the monster area? Oh. You want to come with me on this one and figure it out? Sure. I mean, it's like one of those, you got some explaining to do, you know? Uh, I mean, again, it's just another one of those cute tongue-in-cheek endings, just as we had with Cool World. That uh, oh, hey, look, Brad Pitt gets to finally nail his cartoon girlfriend, just like in this movie. Hey, they called their mom. Everything's cool, but don't worry, we're in Malibu. Ha ha ha! How'd you get there? Oh gosh. Um, well, if we have to be practical about my... it. One of the parents had to obviously go out there, like that. They'd have to. Right. You know, they. They have to tell them to go wait somewhere safe. I mean, Christ, they're on a beach in Malibu with a homeless guy just chilling there. They they crawled out from under his beach chair. So I don't know, man. I, it's it it's super sus. But at the same time, it's the '80s, different time. Maybe it was acceptable. I don't know. Here's what I got. Okay, they were on the phone, and I'm just gonna break it to you beat by beat. They explained. They said we're here we'll explain more later, but we need you to get us home. And the parents said, okay, we're sending your father to the airport to book a ticket to uh, LAX airport. You're going to go take and give me your phone numbers of your friends. We'll call their parents and get them over here. Go to a hotel 
and tell me where the nearest hotel is. Call me back. I'll do over the phone, give my credit card information and explain as best I can. And we're just going to have to hope the kids can convince them to let them stay in a room. And if they're just safely in a room, then through communication, the parent can get to that room and the hotel and bring them back. It's going to cost a lot of money, but everyone will be okay if they can just get them to a safe place for a day. That's what I got. I like that the, these are the questions that kept you up at night. Is <laughs> how how do these boys and girls get home to their families? Seriously. Yeah, I get and it. They, they, <laughs> they'd have to go pick up Ronnie Coleman's parents because they took their car battery, so they can't drive. <laughs> oh, that's true. Yeah. Well, I mean, all the batteries are down in the fucking underworld. So, yeah, you know. <laughs> I mean, how are you going to explain yeah. that he's got like this leather cut from some uh, some biker dude? You know, I mean, there, there's a lot of questions left here that, you know, they're going to say, that's wait, the least get- hard to explain. Well, I, I don't know. You see, I got <laughs> it from a I got it from a blue ha- Howie Mandel with devil horns, you know. Uh, <laughs> I guess if I had to say I'm... that they call them, they would say, "All right, so we're gonna I'm a, I'm gonna go a little different." So you were trying to be like under the subterfuge. I would tell them straight up that they would have to go to the sea law enforcement. That's what they would. The parents would say, "Look, you have to find the police. You wait there for them. They're gonna pick you up. They're gonna bring you back somewhere safe, so we know where you are." And then we're going to get your father out in a flight or somebody to come get you right away. And now that, of course, anybody who's traveled cross country knows that's about a five hour flight. And uh, who knows what their financial situation is. I'm sure they'll probably put it on credit or something like that to get over there. But this is not something that they would easily walk away from. You know, we've already seen how fucking angry you know, Papa Stern is in in his harsh his harsh punishments. Can you imagine that once once the glow has has fallen off of realizing that his son is okay, he's just gonna come straight back with some of this shit right here. First my shirt, now this. I'm 15 minutes late here. What do you expect me to do with my bike? Look at it, it's destroyed. Well, you're gonna have to learn to ride it like that. You're grounded for two weeks, no TV for three, and you can forget about your allowance till that car is paid up. Lynn, isn't that a little rough? Holly, don't make me the villain here. <laughs> no, sorry, Daniel Stern, you made yourself the villain there. <laughs> I mean, like, can you imagine how fucking grounded he would be <laughs> after this? Damn, man. I bet you are. I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. I bet you last minute flights for those amount of people, $2,000. In 89 money? For sure. Yeah. In 89 money. That's a lot of money. It would be like 10 grand a day. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So, of course, his dad would be pissed. Very, very, very very, very pissed. (laughs) He'd have the Daniel Stern yell. Ronnie Coleman must have really been on board, man. Cool. (laughs) I get to go on an adventure. Let's go. No he's questions just, asked. He's just living his best life, man. You know, as long as he... A, a day without <laughs> baloney on his shirt's a good day. And without pissing his goddamn mouth. Uh, <laughs> yep. Yuck. And on that note... How, <laughs> subversive, juice. <laughs> how subversive do you think this movie was, buddy? Uh I'm, I'm giving this one a nine. Oh, a you're nine. going, you're going way up. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm, you know, we're gonna meet in the middle. I think we're gonna have to average it out. Um, it's like, it's, uh, 
it didn't feel as subversive as I would have hoped it. It was a it was a fun, weird movie for sure. Trust me, this is certainly one of the weird entries in cinema. Uh, I would give it, you know, I'm going to balance it out to uh, I would probably have given it a five. So out of your five and my nine, we're going to give it a seven. So this is just a run of sevens today. And it's <laughs> yeah, man, it's it's been it's been a trip, dude. This is uh this is fun stuff. I, I, I love the I, 80s. I, 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 I want to I want to point out just one more thing and then and then we can wrap it up. Please go to one hour and 16 minutes and 56 seconds. 16 minutes and 56 seconds. Correct. All right. Let's see what's here. They're walking up the stairs, right? And there's there's a monster underneath just hanging out. You see oh, him there? Let's take a look. Hold on. Did you see it? I do remember seeing some... Yeah, every once in a while you see like a random fucking monster just kind of hanging out somewhere. And when they first get down there with all their flashlights, they start lighting up the monsters like it's the, like the fucking storming of Normandy at the beginning of Saving Private Ryan. And they're just leaving piles of clothing, <laughs> quivering clothing in their wake. It's just... Listen, listen to this carnage. <laughs> No wonder they're fucking terrified, man. They came up and literally lit them up. But yeah, I remember seeing uh, shortly around in this period of the movie, there was, oh, there it is. I see right there. It's uh, right here. They're walking along the stairs and there's just this monster lurking down below. And I thought, is that a crewman who just happened to be on set and nobody saw in camera because it's so dark? I don't know. I don't know. It was really, really weird. Yeah. So... Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. Uh, oh well, Ben, this has been uh, this has been a lot of fun. Thank you very much for bringing this one to my attention, and thanks for for bearing with me for this uh, longer than usual chat on these two a, fun it, movies. Thank you, man. I love talking about this stuff. And now it's time to wrap it up with just one last question for you. Oh yes. You ready? Yes. You have one night, and you have your watch. Where do you want to go? Cool World or the Little Monster's Den? I think I'm going to have to go with Little Monsters because, again, Cool World just freaks me the fuck out. At least <laughs> the Underworld, it, it's it's dark, but it's at least familiar because it's tangible items. I don't think my psyche could handle going to the gnarled and bent spires that make up Cool World. You know, and and also, who knows what would happen if you encountered a Holly Hollywood in Cool World? So, and that's why we're friends, man. Because I'm going to be the opposite. I'm going to Cool World. I'm <laughs> going to have as much fun with Hollywood without going all the way. <laughs> I'm going to shake Brad Pitt's hand, and if I'm lucky, I get to wave to Daffy Duck. Oh, there you go. There you go. <laughs> yep. Boom. Well, so we already talked about Cool World for Little Monsters. You can find that at Peacock Plex, Pluto TV, as well as on Amazon. And, uh, of course, there's the always the good old-fashioned media. Buy it on disc or whatever. So there you have it, folks. Subversive times all the way around. Two fun flicks. One show for you. And, again, thank you for tuning in. I really appreciate your support. Thank you, Ben, for coming to hang out. It's been awesome. And uh, until next time, everybody, keep an eye out 
The rest of season three will be dropping soon. Until then, stay subversive. If you enjoyed the show, make sure you leave us a review and a five-star rating at your preferred podcast provider. Tell a friend so they can check it out too. And follow us on Instagram at subversive underscore cinema for more content. Subversive cinema.